Olympian on behalf of the IFI to express our thanks and esteem to James. I was teasing him earlier that there were many spotlights where he had to sit in patient <laughs> rumination in the audience with a, a limited power of reply. Uh, and now he has the floor. But I do want to express our esteem, our thanks, uh, and indeed salutations for the next uh, episodes ahead. So to introduce um, our, our duo more formally, James then, as I mentioned, is now completing his period of chief executive and he took up that role uh, in June 2011. Uh, previously, he had worked as a partner in the law firm Matheson and had two decades of experience in film and television production uh, with particular expertise in film financing, music law and intellectual property law. He's an expert director of the Irish Music Rights Organisation and was also chair of the Project Arts Centre Dublin from 1982 to 88 and of the Abbey Theatre National Theatre Society from 1992 to 2011 and he's a member of the European Film Academy. We're delighted that in conversation with James this afternoon is Hugh Linehan, Arts and Culture Editor of the Irish Times who also presents the weekly Inside Politics podcast and what writes our weekly column on culture issues. Um, I think this audience knows uh, Hugh's work in film very well. He's written extensively on film and media um, over many years now and was editor of Film Ireland magazine in the mid-1990s. We hugely appreciate his continuing support to the IFI and I hand the floor to him this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Before we start, James, I've got to uh, issue an apology because I already showed up about 20 minutes, just got the end of the last session. It reminded me how, how uh, invigorating and intellectually stimulating these sessions, these annual, annual sessions are every year. And I'm conscious that there are probably some issues which came up over the course of the day that I didn't hear. Unfortunately, uh, part of my job still involves putting bits of ink on bits of dead trees on Thursday yeah. is the day when that, that, that process is, is at its most intense, which is, which is why I wasn't here. Um, just also to say that, um, as, as was mentioned, I have a long-standing involvement in an interest in film, including involvement in, in film production, which I got out of when I realised how early I had to get up in the morning to be a location <laughs> manager, and, and writing about film for many years, and I moved on to various other things since then. So perhaps I've become uh, a little bit further detached from the industry and from the activities here, but always have, have, have had a fascination and have kept a sort of beady eye on it. Perhaps I'm a little bit further afar, and I'd like to think, uh, maybe this is my excuse, a typical journalist excuse, that that distance might help and perhaps shedding some some light on things rather than being inside the bubble because I know myself from when I was in it that can become quite intense but also perhaps quite quite enclosed as well so to begin this uh, what is rather grimly titled an exit interview I know. <laughs> please <laughs> I suppose let's go back to James when you started in this position Times were bad. Your timing wasn't great to be taking the helm of uh, one of the great institutions of this state. Uh, it was a terrible time. Uh, it was June 2011. In fact, I'm coming up to the end of my eight years as CEO of uh, what is now um, Screen Ireland, but which, which was the Irish Film Board, uh, in, uh, on the 1st of June 2011. I'd been appointed in February of 2011, but had to work out a three-month um, uh, notice period with my previous employer, and there is a certain modest irony in the fact that um, I am going to be staying on for an extra couple of months because my successor is also uh, in a situation where she needs to work out her current uh, employment period, and uh, so I'm actually now uh, staying on until the 1st of August. Uh, but uh, it was definitely an extraordinarily grim time in 2011. Uh, obviously, financially, the country was in uh, very, very bad shape, and it got worse. It's even worth remembering that the year I arrived, the funding for Screen Ireland was still at 13.3 million euro, but uh, as soon as I got in uh, for 2012, it went down to 11.2 million euro uh, as capital funding and stayed at that level for uh, many years after that. And what did that mean? That's a substantial you know, 20, 20% increase, decrease or more in, in the budget. 
what sort of decisions would have been forced on you in that instance? Does that mean that certain more risk-taking or experimental or developmental areas needed to be cut back, or was it important to retain those, or what was the thinking around approaching that? Uh, the thinking at the time was to try and preserve as much as possible. So, uh, I mean, from my own point of view, the policy, the initial policy always, it was to give uh, opportunities to as many, many diverse voices as possible. As far as I was concerned, I wanted all those people who wanted to make films telling their stories uh, to be enabled to do so. So the plan was to try and continue as far as possible uh, at a level of production which, while it might not have been the level of production which existed when the Screen Ireland had 20 million euro in 2008, but at least to try as much as possible to continue the level and diversity of the voices which uh, were being seen on screen. The problem was, therefore, bringing more money from other sources to uh, the table in order to achieve that outcome. And one of the things that's always struck me about the, the, the audiovisual industry in general, both film and television, is that, of course, like every other industry, it reflects the realities of the, the global economy and the national economy within which it's situated. So there are good times and bad times. But also there are peculiarities within the industry itself with technological change or innovation or the arrival of things we will talk about probably a little bit later, like streaming services. So what was the international shape of things, given that so many, as we heard at the last, the last session, so many of the productions you were working with would, would end up as co-productions? Co-production then became the, uh, the method by which we uh, endeavoured to bring the maximum level of resources to the projects we were involved in. So, I mean, for example, a relationship which had begun uh, particularly with a country like Canada uh, was uh, something which developed as part of a way of bringing additional funding. We also, uh, our existing relationships with the UK were strong and we wanted to continue to develop those relationships. And then there were the relationships with co-productions uh, countries throughout the European Union and even further afield than that. Trying to develop all those relationships, trying to maintain the level of funding coming from those countries uh, into productions that we were involved in was very much uh, the objective of that earlier part of the period that uh, I was CEO of the Irish Film Board. Can I ask you a further question about that? Because something it seems to me which has become more apparent in the cultural industries general, generally since the economic revival in the country is that a lot of people manage to keep things going and many, many things going, sort of in the way you've described and you saw that in theatre, you've seen that in other artistic endeavours. But in so doing, individuals took pay cuts or they did more for less or they got stretched very thin over, over a period, over quite a long period. And since then, and we see this with some of, the, um, some of the debates around the Abbey and the way it does its business at the moment, uh, the question now arises, is there some form of restitution or getting back to the way things were before? Well, I think there has been significant progress over the last, uh, certainly, couple of years with the increases in funding. Now, there still needs to be more uh, coming forward, and I would be, uh, I'm very uh, grateful to the government for the fact they've committed to 200 million euro over a period of 10 years. Uh, but if it was to do the mathematical calculation, uh, our funding in 2000, that was 2018 to 2027, so we're two years in. In 2018, we got 14 million, in 2019, we got 16 million. So if you average it at 20 million a year, they owe us 10 million already. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I'm working forward on the basis that our funding will increase over the next period and I'm really hopeful that that is the way in which it will work out for my successor because I believe that that is the way in which to secure a better uh, way of sustaining the development of companies. Uh, just if I could say, David Collins was talking earlier about uh, company sustainability and it is really a very, very significant issue in my view. Um, what we, you're right Hugh, what happened over the years was it became more and more difficult for companies, uh, production companies to sustain themselves in relation to being in the business both of uh, making films for Screen Ireland, making films for uh, and other ways of surviving in the industry because most companies that are working in uh, film production in Ireland have to work across a number of different activities. So you find companies, for example, that do uh, feature films but also do commercials. You find companies that do feature films and TV drama, although that's a bit of a problem because there isn't a lot of that happening. Um, there are companies that do uh, uh, feature films and cinema distribution and even cinema exhibition. Uh, so companies, in order to survive on a sustainable basis, have had to diversify their activities uh, as producers. And this was something which uh, a lot of companies responded to very positively, but it does present great challenges in terms of them being enabled, enabled to be sustainable. And if I could just 
say something about what I believe Screen Ireland should be doing and will be doing in the future, which I think what David was mentioning there earlier, which was a company development scheme or a, a multi-project development scheme, so-called slate funding. These are the kind of things which I think Screen Ireland, hopefully with additional funding in 2020, will be able to do because I think this is an important part of the growth and development of a sustainable sector. And I think you're right, Hugh. It got very thin on the ground uh, in terms of what was available uh, for companies to survive, to develop projects and to produce projects. Uh, and uh, I, I think that that development of sustainable companies is a very important part and I will certainly be encouraging my successor to go forward into setting up uh, company development initiatives and um, uh, multi-project development schemes, so-called slate funding schemes. So how does that fit into the, the current incarnation of the film board slash uh, Screen Ireland has been in existence now for a little over a quarter of a century, so quite a long time. Um, I remember many moons ago talking to one of your predecessors who um, suggested that the Irish film industry, at the time, he characterised it not as an industry in the classic sense, but more as, a, as an artisanal uh, industry or activity. And, uh, and that seemed to me to have a germ of truth into it when you looked at the very small companies that were, you know, the, the, the number of people who are employed in full-time employment, uh, the number of, uh, the, the, the amount of capital involved. Um, is, is the project moving on from that artisanal model to something different? And if so, what might that different thing be? No, I, I think it has to move on to a, a number of versions of that model. I think there will always be small companies, and I hope there will always be small companies, which will be the companies developing exciting projects uh, based very much on small resources. But I also see uh, the need for companies with some degree of scale so that they give people opportunities for, for career progression and for being able to go forward into uh, uh, achieving the kind of creative work which uh, hopefully will be something which will resonate both in Ireland and elsewhere. It's about a, a diverse economy, which includes uh, the small companies, but also at least some companies of scale, in order that you have those kind of uh, opportunities across the board, so that there are companies that provide employment, and then there are self-starters who create their own um, creativity, tell their own stories, and have the freedom to do that. Uh, but unfortunately, freedom and money are a complicated ensemble. Indeed they are. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. I, I wonder, I asked Donald Clark, our film correspondent, a few weeks ago just to go off and do a piece asking a number of people uh, how they define success as, uh, as Irish filmmakers. And I thought the, the, the answers that came back were interesting. They weren't always illuminating to me because it is a very... It's a very complex question to answer, actually, you know, to be fair. And success is different for different types of productions, different types of contexts, different types of financing structures behind them, different types of expectations. But obviously success, in many instances, uh, may involve some kind of return on investment, may involve some kind of uh, success in reaching a broad audience, both in, both in Ireland and overseas, and also perhaps contributing to the development of the companies you're talking about, or indeed film, filmmakers as, uh, as artists as well. So from the point of view of, the, of, of Screen Ireland, do you, um, or is this too private a question, do you have a set of metrics to define success on an annual basis that, that the relevant, that the Department of Culture would have access to, or that, that are agreed in any way? Uh, to the extent um, we do set out uh, a certain level of what we do in terms of dealing with our uh, arrangements with the Department of Culture. I mean, we do have an oversight agreements, uh, agreement and a performance delivery agreement, which is required by uh, corporate governance nowadays between ourselves and the department. Uh, one of the things, for example, that it deals with is the number of productions that we uh, do every year. And Niall, for all of you here earlier, uh, Niall put up on screen, um, for example, we do 14 Irish productions, 14 to 15 Irish productions a year. We do maybe six creative co-productions a year. We do maybe 10 to 15 documentaries, feature documentaries entries a year, we do maybe six animation TV series, uh, we do a number of short film programs. Uh, these are all calibrated in that sense in the agreement we have with the department. Uh, but uh, we don't have how you, uh, as it's, it's, it's less easy to, to measure how, for example, you measure success. And we're now working with producers in terms of sitting down to them and saying, okay, you want to make this particular film, because we're trying to give voice to people's storytelling voices. But then you ask yourself them, okay, who is the audience for this story? And then you say to them, and what are your expectations? How much will it cost? How much, what are the target 
audiences that you want to get the film to, uh, and then how do you see that as a measure of success? The other side of the, the equation that you were talking about there, which is the promotion of creative talent, because you're also trying to encourage uh, the work to be made so that uh, Irish writers, Irish directors, Irish creative producers, Irish actors, Irish DOPs, Irish designers, Irish music composers, Irish music performers, all of the hugely diverse number of people that are involved in production can show their skills uh, on, on the screen and thereby develop for themselves career paths, uh, develop for themselves recognition of the work that they do, and in turn then moving forward, hopefully to a progression in their careers, which gives them greater opportunities to tell more stories. Because there was an issue, it seemed to me, uh, prior, um, prior to your reign, if I may describe it as such, um, earlier on, where there were a lot of, in the earlier days of the film, where there were a lot of first-time filmmakers. Uh, and not quite as many second-time filmmakers and not that many third-time filmmakers. And one of the differences, it seemed to me, with, with, between the Irish industry, however you might characterise it, and what was working more successfully in other countries, was that people had something that could be defined as a career with everything that goes along with that, an enhancement of skills, uh, um, a kind of rising to a level that you can't expect to get to necessarily with your, with your first and, and, and second film. And it seems to me that's one of the successes of the last 10 years. It, we, we now have a body of filmmakers with a body of work, albeit sometimes, uh, um, and I've read interviews with some filmmakers recently, very long gaps sometimes between them making a first film and a second film. I think of something like Float Like a Butterfly. Well, no, this is the point. Um, the point. And we do, we do see people like Carmel Winters doing Snap and then Float Like a Butterfly. She will tell you herself how long it took to get Float Like a Butterfly to be made. It was uh, a huge labour of both love and strain in terms of trying to get it to happen. Uh, we were very happy to support it uh, all the way along. Um, you have other filmmakers. Uh, we were very happy to come back here from the Cannes Film Festival where uh, we had Garrett Shanley and Lorcan Finnegan on the film Vivarium, uh, which uh, they started out as a pair with us in a short film called Foxes, uh, followed by a Catalyst project, which, he was involved, which they were involved in called Without Name. Again, these are career project, uh, progressions which we are trying to support. Uh, the ultimate one, which is often referred to as Lenny Abrahamson, who started with Adam and Paul, went through Garage. One which is an important one at my early, uh, at an early point in my uh, period of office was uh, a film called What Richard Did, uh, which was uh, a very interesting Irish film, Irish story, and uh, Lenny directed it. It was one which uh, they had hoped to get Film 4 to support, but Film 4 didn't in fact support the film. And it was one of those situations where Screen Ireland, the Irish Film Board as was at the time, was able to step in and make sure that the film was fully funded to enable the pro career progression of Lenny to go to the next stage, which was then Frank and then followed by uh, Room and uh, the whole way in which that story goes. So it, it shows you how uh, an organisation like Screen Ireland can not only support somebody at the, an early stage in their career, but at a middle stage in their career as well. Another wonderful example, and I'm so delighted to see more recently the success of Rosie, uh, directed by Paddy Brunach. Paddy Brunach made a wonderful film, which I always think was, from our point of view, was a huge joy to be involved in, called Viva. And, I mean, for all of you who've seen Viva, you know that it's a very strange film in terms of being supported by Screen Ireland, because it's first of all, it's in Spanish, second of all, it's set in Havana, in Cuba, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, it was written by Marco Halloran and directed by uh, Paddy Brunach, and uh, we're extremely proud of it, but that was a moment where Paddy uh, made another film, and we were delighted to support him in telling that story. So it's, those career <laughs> progressions are really important. It is a very difficult business, and there are serious gaps in terms of how much we can support people over periods, because yes, our funding is, is relatively small. And those gaps should be filled, and in many cases were filled in the past, by TV drama. The big problem, as far as I was concerned, in the last period, in the period of my uh, uh, period in Screen Ireland, was the dearth of TV drama, indigenous TV drama, that is. Uh, the curious contrast was that in Ireland, Ireland was a huge success as an international location for international TV drama production. And whether you're talking about anything going back to the Tudors, to um, uh, the, various, uh, the various other big TV series that were made here, um, Ireland was a huge success in terms of international inward TV drama, while at the same time, indigenous TV drama virtually disappeared. And that, that's where 
Irish writers and Irish directors should also be obtaining both uh, employment, <coughs> career opportunities, career development, and that was for me. And if I if I if I had a regret about what my period in office was, I wish that I had been able to do more about TV drama earlier than we did. The Irish Film Board in the early 2000s uh, did something very innovative, which was they realised that TV animation was something which was not being supported by the broadcasters in Ireland. This goes back to way before my time, to the early 2000s. They saw that this was something which was not being supported by the broadcasters. So Screen Ireland, the Irish Film Board then, decided to support TV animation very significantly. And I think the success is there now for all to see in terms of the scale of TV animation and the creativity of TV animation that's going on in Ireland. What I would wish to have been able to do, but the constraints and money were so great that it was difficult to do, but we should have been able to try and do the same about TV drama. We have started into doing TV drama funding uh, currently uh, between TV drama development since 2016 and now TV drama production funding, indigenous TV drama production funding. Uh, but I wished I'd done more sooner if I had my way. I, I don't want to turn this into a kick RTE session. There are quite enough of those. Um, uh, they're, they're fun in their own right. But uh, it seems to me, rather than blaming any particular regime, for example, the current you know, director general or her predecessor, this is a problem which really goes back beyond even the, the foundation of the very first film board back in the 1980s, that in other countries, and we heard it at the previous session, it's taken as a given that one of the functions of public service broadcasting is to support you know, um, drama, drama for an indigenous audience. And for some reason, um, perhaps because of an understanding of what scale is or what, you know, what revenues were available, that never seemed to be the case here. I remember writing a piece a couple of weeks ago about the, the, the anniversary of, of family which RTE part financed, but it was essentially a BBC production, and that was true of many other productions over that, over that period and since. So in terms of, I have some sympathy for you, because of, in coming into the job, particularly in 2011, 2012, 2013, at a time of financial crisis, I'm not surprised you didn't get much joy. Even if you had tried harder, I suspect you wouldn't have got much joy from that particular quarter at that time, because this gap in the Irish audiovisual firmament really goes back to the foundation of public service broadcasting. Oh, I think it does, and there is a huge discussion to be had about uh, Irish storytelling on screen, which is on that particular screen, which is the broadcast television screen. Um, and, uh, I mean, a statistic which I quoted and which does surprise people, uh, in the 2017 accounts <coughs> for RTE, the total expenditure on original programme production costs, in other words, what RTE spends on original programme production costs is, is a total of 230 million euro. That was the year, that was 2017. Uh, of that, only 24 million euro went to TV drama, and a large part of that went to Fair City. The cost of Fair City is more or less the same cost as the total annual allocation of funding to Screen Ireland. Yeah, well, that's a bleak figure, figure I think. About, uh, about a year and a half ago, I think, I think I saw you at an event I was at as well. It was in Kilmainham. It was a series of, there were a series of never-ending, it seemed, glitzy affairs with uh, very, very fancy videos promoting Creative Ireland uh, as a concept and going on at some length about the, the multiple pillars of Creative Ireland, some of which still seem to exist. And one of them was the audiovisual industry. And the, the proposition uh, it seemed to be that there was a recognition at the highest levels of the state, finally, that this was a key creative industry that needed a more focused approach, including from all state agencies, including from the public service broadcaster. And Dee Forbes was at that. And perhaps because there was a sniff of money in the air, she seemed extremely enthusiastic about the prospect. So what's happened since then on that? Yeah, no, T proposed at the time and uh, that, you know, a TV drama production fund would be set up. Uh, I think she was, the, the various figures mentioned included 10 million euro of uh, a TV drama fund. I mean, I wish that that is something that could have been achieved and was achieved. I mean, one of the things that uh, both Roddy and Tony were referring to this morning, for all of you who were here this morning, uh, was the uh, num various numbers of government departments that seem to be involved in this uh, steering group, which is managing the implementation of the audiovisual uh, uh, action plan. Uh, and, but the difficulty is that, for example, Screen Ireland comes under the Department of Culture, uh, RTE comes under the Department of Communications, uh, the Section 481 Tax Incentive comes under the Department of Finance, 
training and skills comes under the Department of Education and Training. Uh, and so you do have to bring all these government departments into a single room in order to try and see if you can formulate a way in which they can all act in a way which is uh, constructive and engaged. And I'm glad to say that the steering group uh, that was mentioned has been meeting. It's already met six times since the publication of the report uh, of the action plan, which was only this time last year. Uh, and for us, they are doing their best to try and uh, achieve the various things which are set out in the action plan. And it is very much a sense that government is trying to do it. I won't say everything is perfect. There are plenty of arguments about what is or isn't being done. TV drama is still an area, uh, let's describe it as work needing to be done. Um, uh, but at least we're there at the table talking about it. Is there, is there money? Because one of the things that struck me was there's a, side by side with this, with the Creative Ireland initiative, was a commitment by government, by, by Leo Varadkar uh, and Pascal Donoghue, to double spending on culture in a fairly short time frame, within about five, six years or so, I think. Um, further debates, because there was agro went on about how much the Arts Council were going to get and other people were going to get. And the argument I heard back from, um, from people in government was that actually a substantial amount of this money was going to go to things which are outside the remit of the Arts Council. The national institutions, of course, are one. But the other one that was mentioned to me was the audiovisual industry. So, as with all these issues, is there any suggestion you're going to see cold, hard cash on the table at some point? Well, I, I mean, as I say, the commitment is to 200 million over 10 years, and we're at the second year into that at this stage. So, there is a certain amount of cold, hard cash. But I do think that if you look at the, you know, in terms of government support for this sector, for let's call it screen content production, film and screen content production, the scale of uh, government support is there. The current cost of Section 481 is roughly 80 million euro a year, and Screen Ireland, including administration, it takes you up to about 20 million a year, 100 million. The, the television license fee is 200 million, and the amount that goes to TG Cahar is 35 million, and then the BAI has an additional 15 million. That's 250 million. So if you compare the two, you have to ask yourself the question, and you add it all together as well, which is 350 million. Are we getting value for money in relation to how this is all spent? And it's a huge question that I think needs to be asked in terms of where audiovisual production sees itself as going. I think that uh, government will, uh, government have and will continue to support, I believe, this sector. Uh, what's interesting about the most recent renewal of Section 481 was there were various disagreements between the Department of Finance, and again, Tony and Roddy outlined this this morning. Uh, there were disagreements between the Department of Finance on the one hand and the Augsburg Report on the other hand. But the one thing the Department of Finance said was, look, this is something which is culturally important, and if you believe politically it should be supported, uh, as far as the Department of Finance was concerned, that was something which uh, could be supported. And the answer is the government said, yes, it should be supported. So there is a strong willingness to support culture. But again, we've got to make sure that in supporting culture, how the funding is allocated, how the funding is spent, is the best possible value for money in terms of showing to government what we're doing and how we are taking responsibility for making sure that we're delivering the best possible results. I suppose a related question to that, and it ties in, of course, to the change of name which occurred under your, under, under your tenure, is that this is an industry, like many other ones, like the one I work in, the media, uh, also, which is undergoing huge change. And, you know, traditional expectations of why something would get made and who it would get made for and how they would receive it and how you would actually um, financially sustain it, all those are being turned upside down in all kinds of ways, still unpredictable in, in, in many ways. And so against that, that backdrop, um, I wonder how well we are geared to actually, I suppose, first of all, to predict what's happening. For example, uh, clearly as a country, whatever about acting as, a, as an offshore location for international co-productions, we haven't succeeded in plugging in in a co-production model to the, the huge boom in, in long-form narrative, television, drama. Um, but some people say that that's a bubble. I mean, what's your read on that? Well, no, I think we are beginning to make progress. I mean, very exciting, for example, Normal People, a big, big TV drama series is, being, uh, is currently being made based on the novel by Sally Rooney. Uh, so that, that is a good example of uh, what I would describe as indigenous TV drama production coming down the tracks. So we are getting there. The one big issue, I think, from a policy point of view that's coming down the tracks as well too is the, is the implementation of the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. Uh, 
This is a directive which requires that on the new services, that's Netflix and Amazon, 30% of what's uh, uh, made available are European works. And we were talking earlier about that. The UK is very relieved that they're still in the Council of Europe and European works are there. Sorry, yes, hello. 30% <laughs> <laughs> uh, Europe. But one, one of the things that that directive also allows member states of the European Union to do is to uh, apply levies and contributions to uh, internet service provider companies, even if the company is not based in Ireland. So, for example, if you take companies, whether that it's Sky uh, from outside the country or Virgin Media, uh, which is in the country but also outside the country, take Netflix, take Amazon, all those services are charging subscriptions to Irish uh, audiences uh, for uh, what is um, uh, delivered to Irish audiences. Uh, each European Union state is entitled to, under the audiovisual news services, uh, charge those companies levies in relation to those subscriptions that are being paid to them. And this is an opportunity to try and make sure that uh, there is a way in which we can uh, make, provide more funding to uh, Irish stories, Irish screen content through uh, the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. And I would be encouraging everybody to support the idea that this is something we need to do. Uh, and I think it will make a huge difference. Um, the concern I have is that this directive also requires a complete reform of our regulatory uh, arrangements in relation to broadcasting and online service providing. It's a big challenge, for example, for the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland because they are now going to either have to morph into a much bigger regulator. They're going to have to regulate, quite possibly, Facebook for the whole of Europe. And it will put uh, the BAI into almost the same situation as uh, the uh, Data Protection Commissioner currently is in, uh, uh, in terms of having to deal with European regulation. So these are all big things which are coming down the tracks. We are supposed to implement the Audiovisual Media Service Directive by the 20th of September next year. It's a year and three months away. Uh, it's an extraordinary uh, uh, amount of work will have to be done to achieve that. I don't have a lot of faith that that's going to be done very well, to be perfectly honest. Um, I mean, one, one fact about that is that those service providers are incredibly powerful. Um, global corporations with a very large footprint in Ireland and access to the inner chambers of power. So in terms of, do you see there being a, a requirement for a campaign, a lobby, in relation to that particular issue? Well, I'm hoping people will at least discuss this issue as something which is important in terms of working out. I mean, the French system, which everybody was talking about in the number of films they were, were um, uh, speaking about that are made in France, the CNC, which is the, the Centre National de Cinématographie, which is the equivalent of, God help us when I say equivalent of Screen Ireland, they are enormous, and we are, and we are absolutely tiny by comparison. They have about six or seven hundred million euro a year coming in the door to the CNC, and not a single cent of that money comes from the French taxpayer. It all comes from levies uh, and contributions from all the service providers, ranging from cinema, uh, cinema levies to broadcast television levies to uh, levies on internet service providers, and all of that funding then is spent on French films and other screen content. And in fairness to them, they're supporting all forms of screen content. The CNC is not just about film anymore. They do, they are even investing uh, uh, in what was mentioned earlier as well, to computer games. I'm going to open it to the audience in a minute because I know that the clock is against us and Boots book launch is the most important thing and it's happening at, <laughs> uh, at, at four o'clock. But I wanted to go back on something and I gather it, uh, I gather it might have come up a little bit this morning, which is about um, the whole question of, a na of national cinema and a national voice. And you've used, used the word in, in indigenous once or twice. And listening to you talk about Lenny and his films and what Richard did and uh, failing to secure a certain finance from the UK, I recalled, and I shouldn't really be giving this away because I think these things are supposed to be confidential, but I recall arguing on a, on a jury for an Irish Film Award that Adam and Paul was the best Irish film of the year and losing out to uh, the majority of the jury who weren't Irish who didn't think that Adam and Paul was the best film of the year and chose another film. You can check back to see what that, film, what, what that film might be. But the nature of the argument seemed to me to illuminate one of the challenges that you, make if you, that you face if you come from a small country and you're trying to tell stories that are truly authentic to life as being lived in a contemporary fashion in, in the place itself, that other people have different expectations of what stories you're, you're going to make. And then, you, I mean, you mentioned Viva, 
which I, I love. It's an absolutely fantastic film. I'm delighted that it's an Irish film. Uh, but I know myself, say for example, in, I was saying to you, in the Irish Times newsroom, if I go down and say, great news, an Irish film has you know, swept the board at awards such and such, and they say, what, what is it? And I say, it's called The Favourite. It's, uh, it's directed by this guy with a funny Greek name. Uh, it's set in, the, it's set in the 18th century England. And they sort of, they kind of go, okay. But they're not going to splash it in the same way. And there is a kind of a, a sort of a narrow green jersey vision of what Irish stories and Irish film could be. That it seems to me is going to be, and this is a complex issue, I know, but it's going to be challenged just by the nature of the world we live in now, much less the nature of the way culture works. Oh yeah, I mean, it's the fascinating question about Irish stories. On the other hand, of course, what's wonderful is that uh, Irish creative talent is often celebrated, even though they're performing in, for example, or directing in, uh, you know, outside the country. I mean, one of the recent films, uh, the, the Jesse Buckley film, which um, is just seeing such a wonderful young Irish creative talent working on what is, uh, and I fully accept as a British film, <laughs> um, it, it's, yes, the, the whole business about the nationality of films and national cinema has become much more difficult to define at this stage. People tell stories because they want to tell those stories. Whether it's Room or Brooklyn, uh, whether it's a story about, um, you know, uh, the ones I'm particularly proud of in the last while were films like Michael Inside and Rosie, which are very, very much stories that are Irish stories about very important Irish issues and even talking about them just to see how wonderful those stories are told. I mean Roddy Doyle and Paddy Brannock telling uh, the story Rosie and I mean Sarah Green just uh, I mean the performance is just so brilliant that you have to just kind of go that's to me that was the greatest of joy and let me mention Mo Dunford as well too because he was... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sorry. No, yes, yes. Uh, it has been said that it does seem Mo Dunford appears in a significant number of Irish films. He, and yes, he's indeed. in Black. He's in Black Forty Seven as well. Yeah. <laughs> he's in Black Forty Seven. If all those who were eagle-eyed enough to be keeping an eye out. Um, uh, so look, but I mean, again, Black. Whether it's Black Forty Seven, Rosie. Uh, you know, Michael Inside was one of the Irish Times' best fifty films of the year. Thank you. <laughs> uh, not my choice. I don't disagree with it. But I, I, that really heartened me because that was a film which I thought just might not necessarily, because of the very difficult subject matter, uh, make it out to, let's say, a wide audience. Mm. But it clearly did. And that, that in itself is wonderful. So, could I mention one thing, just because it is important as well, too? Um, the, uh, and we're, in, we're here in Temple Bar. The demise of film base is one thing which I really find a great sadness. And for me, this is something which I feel I won't be around to be necessarily be able to solve this through Screen Ireland, but it is something which I believe is very important. Uh, the Galway Film Centre is still there. Uh, uh, there is a kind of... In Cork, I think there was a film centre, mm. but it now needs. If I was, if I had my other magic wand to wave from now on, apart from the audiovisual media services directive, which sounds very boring, uh, I would wave the magic wand of seeing if there could be a film base. And I'm just using the name. It's not. It's you know a development hub. For yeah, can, can you explain to me what that film base shaped hole is? Because I was involved in film base many many years ago. But a lot of what film base did then, on one level, is not necessary anymore. People don't need expensive Super 16 ARRI cameras. They don't need to get access to Steam Becks. They can get access, you know, up to a point, to relatively cheap technology. So is it about, is it more about the, I suppose, the sort of the, the, the community around it or the, the sharing of knowledge, those kind of issues? It is. It's a place for people to gather. It's a place for people to talk about it. There's a certain amount of equipment involved which can be added to the mix. Mm -hmm. There's a certain yeah. amount of help and mentoring. I mean, FilmBase did courses, did all sorts of things. It, it wasn't just about the equipment. Sure. It was more about getting people together, helping them to network with each other. Because I feel, that, I mean, the, 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 the schools and colleges are doing a great job. You've got the National Film School out in IADT. You've got the other film schools and, you know, DCU and Galway and other places. But when those people come out of those uh, schools and colleges, they then need somewhere else to go. And it's not possible for them to walk in the door of the Irish Film Board and say, hello, I'm now a fully formed uh, producer and I Because you just point and laugh at them. Well, <laughs> well but that's what I you should do. Uh, even, even, even the numbers uh, is something which would cause, you know... You, to Are there too many films? Good. 
Um, there are a lot of people who are coming out. Not everybody is going to end up with a career in film because mm. it's it's one of those things where I mean, in fairness, it's like acting. Um, and I'm I many of my personal family are involved in acting, so I have very direct personal experience of this. You do. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> we both have shared yeah, that. Without that burden to say. And it's basically uh, acting is one of those careers which not everybody is going to be able to succeed at because it is a very difficult career. Uh, but at the same time, for those that do develop and go forward, it is wonderfully rewarding and you can only hope that something that they could do and enjoy. But part of the process of getting there has to be a development hub, a way of doing it. And I mean, with, without again, you know, sort of going in analogies about other countries, but the UK have developed a whole system of development hubs around uh, because from the point of view of the BFI, that is the way to deal with that particular issue. And I would love to see that happening in Dublin. Uh, it's there in Galway already, in uh, Cork, Limerick. People are mentioning Limerick as well too. Mm. It should be something uh, that we should be doing on a regional basis, as well as in Dublin. Great. Uh, before I open to the audience, just one last question, because this is an exit interview. So as you, as the, the door framed around you, like John Wayne, as you walk into the distance in the, in the searchers, what do you see ahead of the Screen Ireland you leave behind? How, what do you see the future of? Well, I'm, I'm very excited to, first of all, let me say how excited I am about seeing that Desiree Finnegan is coming in to, to, to do this job. She's a wonderful person and I think she's going to make a great CEO of Screen Ireland. I hope that I am leaving behind something which is in reasonably good shape, uh, but I know there are many, many challenges in front of her, uh, as there were when I started as well too. I hope we will all support her as best we can in the job. I'm certainly going to do my best uh, to give her as much support as possible because I believe that the role of Screen Ireland is something which can be a, a force for good uh, in an area which is difficult and challenging in terms of where we are. Great. Anybody? Questions? I warn you, I am half blind, so you'll have to... Yes, there you are, over the back. We've got a microphone up to you. Hi, uh, Simon Kinghan. Similar question. First of all, Jane, thank you for not doing a Father Ted Crillian <laughs> valediction speech. <laughs> and now for the liars. <laughs> um, I read your, your statement when you answered the departure about the potential around TV and the need for the industry to pivot towards TV. And, uh, how do you see uh, the Irish scene taking advantage of the uh, as we mentioned earlier, bubble and content production arising from the, the rise of the streamers. I mean, it's the, the amalgamation of all the different screens in terms of the large cinema screen. And can I just say, I, I still think cinema is something which will continue and prosper. And I always point, I, I worked in the music business in the past, uh, and I'm still involved through uh, various, through the Irish Music Rights Organization at this point in time. Uh, and for me, uh, live music, live music concerts still succeed beyond, you know, they are growing and prospering. I see cinema growing. Uh, it may not grow enormously, but it is something which will continue. But I also see that uh, people will be accessing screens We'll be accessing content through screens of various varieties, whether the television screens, laptops, phone screens, whatever else. And I think that that's something which Screen Ireland, as the name implies, is going to have a greater and greater role about promoting uh, storytelling on those screens. And that is hugely important from our point of view. The date at which we changed our name was only the 18th of June last year. It is less than a year since we changed the name. And I know it's taking everybody time necessarily to get used to it, but it is something which I believe does say something about the future of where we're going. Um, and for us, that is definitely, we're putting money into television drama production at this point in time. I see us doing more about all forms of screen content uh, going into the future. Um, do you, part of me misses Irish Film Board as a title, and part of me thinks it's, it's an incredibly old-fashioned sounding, sounding title, is that it was for a long time. It sounded like something slightly Stalinist, you know, from the 1940s, didn't it? <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> we were talking about the National Milk Board. When we yes, were yes. That, <laughs> that tractor production has increased by 30%. Any other questions on the other end? Harry and Hugh. Um, when you mentioned film-based sets for human Oh I God, I didn't realise you were here and I gave <laughs> a secret about the jury. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to 
now I know about the jury on the IFTA. So, but at the same time, it was great that won the award, which, and as you said, we always have a mix of international people on various uh, juries and so forth. Um, I think it's a great interview you're doing. Sorry, my throat is bad today. Hugh, um, James, in terms of the core funding for various companies, that is the crucial thing. Because it, when you see David Collins, David goes right back to the beginning, he's 30, 35 years, you know, furrowing away in, in an industry like this, doing great work, but very supportive of new talent coming through. But when even he is saying that it's very hard to retain staff and um, make sure they can plan for the next, and they don't know from any given time what they'll get. So slave funding is important, core funding to the organization is important. And I think we certainly, as the academy, we've just um, celebrated 15 years, but we are constantly going through transitions. Because right at the beginning, we started out showcasing the industry, rewarding people who were doing certain talent, doing master classes, all of that. Now our big plan, the strategic plan, is to build this hub that you're talking about now, actually. And um, because we do various master classes and so forth, and people coming into that central stream, but it's very hard to get all of the various components of the industry, especially then as well as Green Ireland, to know when the time is right to start supporting that. There's no point in lamenting after. When Filmbase was a spectacular organization, it's gone now, and it's very, very difficult. Hugh was right, maybe times have moved on. People now can make films on their iPhones. They don't need the equipment in the same way. But the hub is needed, that central hub for the industry. So um, it's just something we would welcome and support. It's, um, it's very much, I'm here with a colleague of mine from the committee, Werner Lappen, um, and it's something that we're talking about very strongly now. So um, hopefully we'll get the conversations with you before you go, but congratulations on the work done. Thanks, Werner. <laughs> and apologies again for that professional lapse. Okay. Um, there's a hand here. Uh, hello, thank you, uh, Dennis Murphy, Trinity College. Uh, uh, Mr. Hickey, I'm, I'm fascinated that the fact you mentioned earlier that you, your, your uh, CEO-ship has kind of uh, traced the, the recession and, and the recovery. But uh, maybe despite the, you know, the, the difficulties in the funding of the film board, in that same period, the Section 481 contribution to the industry has tripled, essentially, from about 30 billion, let's say, to roughly 90 maybe by 2018 so maybe that disguises a lot of the it seems to me that the industry has weathered the recession incredibly well i mean when you look at it from that point of view so i'm wondering what about the difficulties that uh, have been expressed by writers and directors in, in actually making a living you know in, in the current era in terms of being able to have sustained Careers. I mean, you touched earlier on the difficulties. I mean, maybe Lenny is the exception that proves the rule in terms of you know, continuity production. Is there anything that the next uh, CEO of, of Screen Ireland can do to kind of address these difficulties that were highlighted by the uh, Screen Directors Guild uh, European wide survey of content creators in Europe also, which shows you know, very low levels of income among regular writers and directors on the continent. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. During the, during the period when I was, um, uh, uh, that I've been CEO, the, the level of inward production has increased very substantially. And as a country, we have grown in terms of our capacity. That's a very important part of the industry. And you've got to remember, Screen Ireland, the Irish Film Board, when it was established in 1980, had two purposes. Uh, the promotion of uh, Irish film and an industry for the making of film. So there was a dual role for the organisation. Uh, I do agree with you that uh, the success of inward production has expanded very significantly, whereas the funding for indigenous production hasn't expanded quite as, as quickly. The expectation was that a significant contribution would be made by, for example, public service broadcasters to the indigenous development uh, and the difficulty is that that never quite materialized during the period of the recession. So yes, I think that there is uh, an argument for saying that 
Uh, the success of inward production has been uh, wonderful, but there needs to be greater resources committed to indigenous production, including Irish writers, Irish directors. We did get a number of Irish writers and direct, Irish directors in particular working on the big international TV series. I mean, people like Kieran Donnelly, for example. Uh, so it's, it's not just, there are parts to the story, but I would agree that there is more money needs to be and should be spent on screen content, both feature films, TV drama, TV animation, uh, feature documentaries all across the board. Indigenously, we need more support than we have at the minute. Sunita is starting to look cross there, so I think we'd better, uh, we'd better, we'd better wrap it up. So it just reminds me to, to, to thank you, James, for your service um, to the country and to the film industry. I think, we, I think we do after we have a book launch in two minutes. Or can we go? Can I finish with a question that I think goes to the heart of the matter? Yes. Um, my name is Carmen Winters and I've just made this film float like a butterfly. Now I've um, I've experienced the difficulties over the last eight years to make this follow-up feature. But I think the thing, the elephant in the room, is what happens at distribution level. Distribution. The attention paid to stories made by women, the funding given, are the um, backup by way of the spend on the distribution of those films. I think we need to really look into this. There is a story that I've seen and a pattern I've seen. And I think we have done so much to move forward at the level of development and production that I am asking what can we do at the level of distribution? of films which have earned their stripes, they, they're films that are perfectly capable of entertaining audiences, but there is still a barrier at distribution level. I've seen it and I've experienced it firsthand. I'm very grateful to Eclipse for being the fighters that they are. And it's no accident they are two women, two sisters, fighting for this film in, in Ireland at the moment. I'd love to know, James, what's your sense of what's possible? We all know it's really tough for any film out there but there is definitely another level of toughness again for the female filmmakers like myself, um, telling stories with women at the heart of them. I, I'd entirely agree, and I think we should be doing more uh, to support uh, Irish films which are made uh, with uh, female writers, female directors giving their voice, we do need to spend more money on making sure the cinema distribution of those works and the distribution across all screens is promoted as much as possible. Do, do I, you accept the point that there's a specific gendered issue at the distribution? Well, there, there does seem to be a challenge in relation to uh, getting those films to audiences and getting distributors to pay attention to distributing those films and I wouldn't disagree with Carmel uh, about what she is saying. It, it is a particular problem that occurred and I think we need to do more to solve that problem. Okay, on that note we will leave it there but thank you for that contribution. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone.